Episode 44 is upon us with Stuart Cooper. He is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, the head BJJ instructor at Tiger Muay Thai in Phuket, Thailand, and uh, has really made a name for himself in the videography film world with Stuart Cooper Films, uh, covering the sport of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and mixed martial arts. And he's worked with some of the greatest MMA people throughout the entire world. And we get into that in this uh, almost hour-long conversation. Uh, really appreciated Stu's time. Check him out online. His videos are phenomenal. Um, he's friends with some of the greatest uh, athletes in the sport. And he's continuing to spread awareness of it through his videos and obviously through his teachings at uh, his his gym and, and other seminars, etc. So really, uh, really enjoyed hearing his story. And I know you will as well. So without further ado, please welcome the one and only... Stuart Cooper. The Optimal Life. The goal is, I think, in life, you know, is to accumulate all the knowledge and experience that we can, and then go and take that knowledge and experience, and then who can go and help with it? You take the thousands of hours that you spend on the mat, the thousands of hours that you spend fighting off a choke or trying to apply a submission, and then, you know, at the end, you get to take all that learning and go and help somebody else. You know, I realize, I think, that 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 in the end is like the greatest reward. Where do you usually stay when you come here to the States? Um, well, I did have um, a girlfriend in Oregon for a couple of years, so I always used to go up there, uh, Bend, Oregon. And I would always, uh, you know, travel. I went to Miami a couple of times to train with uh, Roberto Cyborg Abreu. And, you know, I've just traveled around California, San Diego. You get to go to all the fancy, uh, nice locations. I'm stuck here in yeah, Cle- I'm stuck yeah. here in Cleveland where we get we get snow about four or five months a year. Wow! You get to go to Oregon and uh, San Diego and Miami. I mean, you're, you <laughs> you get to go live yeah. that that beach life, which is uh, which is nice. How often do you come to the states? Um, you know what? I haven't been I haven't been to the states for let me see, it's a couple of years now. But I was there quite often. I even got, at one point I was going in and out of the states so many times. I got pulled in by. Um, is that Philadelphia Airport? Is it Customs or the TSA? I can't remember who it was. Yeah. Um, they basically like gave me a warning <laughs> that I, you know I've got to stop coming in the country so much. What is that? What, what was the what was the rule? Like you can only come in a certain amount of times within a, a certain time frame. Well, as f- from what I understand, I'm allowed to come in. I'm allowed ninety days. Um, so I would come in for like ninety days, and then I'd leave you know, for a couple of months and then I'd go back in for another 90 days and then I'd leave for a month and then I just kept doing it. Wow. Wow. So, but they, but the, what they were trying to, um, they actually rooted through my phone, my laptop. They were trying to prove that I was making money in the country. That was their problem. Cause, uh, they're like, why are you in our country so much? You must be making money here. I was like, no, I just kind of like, I'm a digital nomad. I make money online. So <laughs> You're, really you're like you're wrong. like you're like yeah. I'm actually just just trying to help spread uh, spread this this amazing sport. Um, and there's a lot of guys yeah. here in the United States that are pretty good at it, so that's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was careful not to tell him too much. I just said I was training. <laughs> so, um, the, the, first off, before we get into it, man, what's going on over there in Thailand with those kids that were rescued? What an amazing story, huh? I know, right? Yeah, so they, yeah. Got, they have all of them out. Is yeah, that that's right? crazy. Yeah, I saw that yesterday that they had uh, they had rescued the entire so- boys soccer team and coaches. Uh, that's incredible. Yeah, 
there's been a lot going on here just um, up the road from where I am um, the weather was so bad the other day that um, uh, I think it was 60 people were out on a boat and the boat capsized and a lot of people died and then that happened the boys got trapped in the cave so this time Jeez. of year the, the weather gets kind of crazy you know you gotta be you gotta be careful no matter where you are <laughs> Now you're in the. I think that that thing happened. If I'm not mistaken, I think the cave thing happened in northern Thailand. I assume that maybe you're yes. down. You're down further south. Yeah, I'm in Phuket, and that happened up in Chiang Rai. Uh huh. Which, um, yeah, that's like probably a two-hour flight away, something like that. Is that like been the talk of the city? I mean, the talk of the town. That that whole thing. Uh, yes. It yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing, man. It's amazing when you when you. Most of the time, when something like that happens, catastrophic like that, those those boys were stuck like two miles deep into a cave. It's amazing that amazing. they even got found. You know, That's what I'm actually, saying. Yeah, the the, yeah, the Thailand, the Thai Navy, the Thai Navy deserves all the credit in the world, man. They were superheroes to pull that off. Yeah. Superheroes. I mean, they've been. It's been getting worldwide press, man. I, I know that. I don't know how much you've seen. See, it's gone over over here on, in the United States. Uh, all the news co- stations have been covering it like crazy. Like that's all been the number one story here. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, Elon Musk he was even offering his help, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. The whole thing's really yeah. amazing. So it's always good to get a, a feel good uh, story like that go- going on. Yeah. But uh, so let's talk about. Uh, did you by, by any chance did you watch uh, UFC two twenty six last weekend? Um, I watched every fight apart from the Paul Felder. Um, uh, Mike Perry fight. I missed that one. That was yeah, actually so a good fight, man. Caught the replay though. Yeah, that was a good fight. That was yeah, a blood. Yeah, that was a bloodbath. I've got it saved for later on. Uh, what did you think of the uh, the snoozer, the, the the heavyweight fight with between Nganu and and Derek Lewis? Could you believe that? I know, right? That was the fight that really people, a lot of people, are looking forward to, and everyone's saying this isn't going out the first round, and they just, I think, they just respected each other's power so much. Yeah. But then again, Derek Lewis was actually trying to throw some kicks and some punches, but Nagano just kind of, he just couldn't, he was throwing, but he wasn't, he was too far away the whole time. Yeah, I mean, it was the, it was, it was the, the heavyweight fight that recorded the second least amount of strikes of all time in UFC. That was the second, second least. I think there yeah. was 23 strikes to, and I think the record was like 22, if I'm not mistaken. So, it was uh, yeah. it was crazy to see that man because uh, Nganu was the hype train that was until he ran into Stipe. Uh, actually, Stipe is our hometown boy here in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, so he when he ran into Stipe in that last fight, man, he uh, he came out with a statement after this fight with Derek and said, "Hey, I apologize. I think my fear has gotten to me. You know, whatever whatever mental blocks he ran into after losing that fight to Stipe." Um, yeah, he yeah. he looked like he was completely lost, man. He was scared to throw a punch. It was it was strange because in the Stipe fight, he didn't even get knocked out. It was a decision. Correct. So yeah, he was very tentative. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's sad to see that you know because uh, that's all mental. That's all mental, and he yeah. he didn't work on it. I assume you see that quite often with uh, with some of the guys that you work with, uh, uh, especially at the high levels of of BJJ. I assume that you see that at times too. Oh yeah, the men- the mental part. You know, once you get to the highest level, th- that's what it comes down to. Once your skill, everyone's skill is the same. You know, the the mental side is you know it's something I struggled with for years with uh, jujitsu competition. You know, I'd really um, I kind of stopped competing when I was a purple belt, but I've just got back into it now. 
Um, Because it's only recently, I would say, in the last year, I've started to kind of really understand the mental side of it, you know, and kind of start to believe in my own abilities. So that's a huge part of it. Yeah, it's probably the biggest part of the whole thing. I mean, we we obviously know we obviously know Engano can throw a punch. I mean, he's punched, he's knocked people out, and that's kind of his game is just to go in there and, and just touch you a few times and make you know, that's the end of the fight. But it seemed like when he wasn't able to do that in the last fight, whatever was going on, he ran into a lot of mental blocks in the last couple months, and he hasn't addressed. I mean, he didn't address it. Yeah, Th- those and things. It's like, can you uh, can you perform the same way that you do in the gym in the fight? Right. Yeah, it's incredible. To, it's it's incredible to see how that happened. That was so so disappointing. Uh, what was your tip? You never know. That might that could make him better. You know, like he's gonna, obviously he's going to have to go back and re- readdress it now. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on him for his next fight. So maybe he's going to really come out strong in his next fight. We'll you think a, you think a guy like that should be working like working on other things? I mean, I assume he does, but probably doesn't do it a whole lot but like for example do you think a guy like that who's got such tremendous knockout power and athleticism with his striking does a guy like that have to uh sit down and and really learn another another art such as jujitsu or something like that to uh to hone his game or does he just well, yeah, go full throttle with the striking good, yeah from sounds like he didn't do any wrestling he doesn't do any jiu-jitsu he just you know he just does stand-up so that really showed in the stipe fight you know what once he gets tired he really does have he has nothing you know he has zero jiu-jitsu and like really not much wrestling so it doesn't look like he's been doing it no it doesn't because i think that something like that would give him the assurance and give him would calm his mind hey if i get yeah. taken down like i did last time all right at least i could cut, understand what's going on around me I know yeah. if this guy is going to go for a, a some you know a submission or if he's looking to take my back or at least the guy knows. Hey, okay, I've been here before. I've been working this for the last ninety days or the yeah, last I mean, that's six what months. Makes Anthony Pettis so good. His stand up is so good because he's got he's so effective off his back. You know, if he does get taken down, he he, he doesn't he doesn't mind because he's got very good arm bars, good triangles off his back. Yeah, and he showed that in that Kiesa fight too. Yeah, he did. That was nice. That was very, was very nice. nice. I always think it's fascinating to watch these guys at these high levels when a guy is just, you know, they're striking, they're striking, but when they get to the ground and they just, they're able to pull off something fancy schmancy with the, with the jujitsu, man. That, the jujitsu to, to me is, is such a, uh, when these guys have that as a base, they are so much more dangerous. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, the jiu-jitsu is so every, I mean the next few years you're going to have everyone's going to be a black belt you know in the UFC like black belt level anyway because you're saying they've all been tra- most of them have been training it for years now yeah yeah well they should be yeah yeah what was your take on the uh, on the uh, heavyweight fight that was pretty wild huh Cormier Stipe oh, oh yeah I was the first few minutes I was thinking I was thinking Stipe was getting the better of him. I was like, oh, because I, I wanted Daniel Cormier to win just because, I know I like him. I like watching his interviews and he's a good, like, uh, commentator. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the whole thing with John Jones are surrounding him, people not giving him credit. I kind of wanted him to win. And first few minutes, I'm thinking Stipe is, looks like he's going to, you know, he's, he's, he's tagging him. But then it just, yeah, it was, it, <laughs> it was pretty amazing to watch. It was. I mean, that that fight was between two of the classiest guys that the UFC has ever seen. Yeah, I like the I 
like what they did in the Ultimate Fight. I like the fact they were both, you know, very respectful with each other, and they weren't, you know, they weren't playing up to the camera and being all fake. I don't know. I right. think uh, I, I think there's too much of that in MMA these days. I don't know. So with some people, I like it. You know, with Conor McGregor, it, it works because he pulls it off. He's actually funny. But then there's guys trying to do it. But they don't, they're not naturally funny with it. No, they're not. You could tell when it's forced. And I, I, I didn't, yeah. speaking of that, I, the, the whole circus after the fight with the Brock Lesnar shit. Did you see that? Yeah. That, I mean, yeah, that was, yeah. that was a complete shit show. I don't know what they were doing. But, yeah, you could tell uh, that was just, <laughs> that was just <laughs> it was embarrassing. I, you know, to see, first off, Brock Lesnar comes walking in there and, and, he, and he's calling Stipe a piece of shit after the guy just got knocked out. Uh, yeah, he says, he says, Naganu's a piece of shit. Miocic is a piece of shit. Um, I mean, it was just, to me, it was so tasteless, so classless. I'm like, you know, the guy, Stipe Miocic's the greatest heavyweight, one of the greatest heavyweights of all time, one of the greatest men of all time. His wife's due with the baby. He just got knocked out cold. You're busy calling him a piece of shit for, for, uh, for entertainment value. You're a piece of shit. And I would never say that to your face, Brock, but you're the piece of shit. So... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's crazy, but yeah, it's uh, not, yeah man, it's not, it comes out the wrong thing. I mean, he gets on the microphone. He's like, "I'm coming for you, motherfucker!" I don't, yeah, I don't like, uh, it was ridiculous. I don't like that too much swearing, you know. Yeah, it was it was ridiculous. But hey, man, uh, let's let's. Uh, I wanted to just get your take on that. I assume that you've been watching. I, I assume you've been watching the UFC for quite a while. Um, yeah, yeah. Take take me back, man. How how did you first start getting involved in uh, MMA and BJJ? When did that begin? Well, let me see. I first saw UFC on TV when I was probably I was twenty two, and I was at just I was in the last year of university, and I was uh, studying uh, this like kind of media a media degree. Um, so I caught the UFC on TV, and I always I was always in, at this time I was into marathon running. And lifting weights but I always had an interest in martial arts you know growing up watching Bruce Lee uh, you know Claude Van, Jean-Claude Van Damme films and I was just looking I always wanted to try I think I tried karate and judo when I was younger but I never really I don't think those the academies I went to were fully legit you know and then I was working at a gym called Bannatine's Health Club and I was talking about the as I uh, one of the people that worked there I asked them if they'd heard of UFC, and they said, yeah, it's mixed martial arts. And I didn't know what that was. I went, what is this? It's real, right? It's real fighting. He's like, yeah. And uh, he he actually did Muay Thai. And then he, he took me down to his Muay Thai academy. So I did my I did a f- first few lessons, and you know that was my first time actually getting hit in the face and you know hitting pads, and I really enjoyed it. And I saw after the class they had an MMA and Jiu-Jitsu class. So I jumped in. Uh, those classes and I just remember getting tapped like a hundred times you know people half my because quite I was quite athletic uh, just from all the sport I'd been doing and right. I thought I knew how to fight but I definitely did not know how to fight you're going what the hell is this man <laughs> yeah I just what is getting this caught in arm bars and triangles and I just remember everyone mounting me and me being completely helpless and thinking what's going on here I'm strong I'm fast how like I'm just getting owned here and mm-hmm. from that day, I went every single, injuries aside, from that, the first day I tried to do two, I went every single day. I just got hooked to it. I got, I've, I've got like, um, I've, I've uh, obs- obsessive compulsive disorder, but I know how to channel it into a good thing. Yeah. So anything, yeah. I, anything I take an interest in, I kind of do it like 
hundred percent. So this is a, you were at what age at that point? Uh, I was twenty-two. Wow, wow this is okay. ten, year, ten years ago now. I've been doing it ten years. Okay, so twenty-two. So you're already into your young adult life. You walked into yeah. a you just walked into a gym one day, and, and you that gym was located where? Uh, that was in London. That was at Southeast London. Okay, so you're in, yeah. So you're in London. You walk into a gym one day. Hey, check it out. You, you know, you're hitting pads, and and you just discovered this jujitsu thing, huh? You didn't know anything about it. Yeah, I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. Um, and then one of the one of the places I was training, I was training at two. I, I you know got an interest in it right away. Uh, one of them was called Semtex Gym, which was more Muay Thai, and the other one was London Fight Factory, which is quite a well-respected gym in uh, London. So when I finished my university course, um, I was led to believe I'd go right into a job, you know. Um, you get a degree and you get a job right away. But I just, I was unemployed for quite some time, so I moved back up north to Manchester, moved back into my parents, and I just couldn't find a job anywhere. So just for something to do, I um, looked, found another jiu-jitsu academy, you know, very, fortunately for me, in my hometown uh, up called Preston at that time, uh, we had a Gracie Bar Academy open up there with two world champions, uh, one called Lucio Sergio De Santos and another one called Lucio Legato Rodriguez. So right from day one, I had like, you know, high level, um, you know, uh, black belts teaching me. I wow. just fell in love with it way, so... All that time, I could. I'm, I'm kind of glad because all those years I couldn't get a job. Right. I ended up. I had a few jobs here and there, working in, you know, selling ski jackets. You know, uh, working on a scrapyard, um, uh, just you know, like door to door stuff. But sure. Um, it what that I was just just to keep my mind occupied. I just started training full time and then started to compete and uh, wow. started to do very well actually as a white belt and a blue belt and then eventually purple. How, how long How long did you hold your white belt? For? Did, did that academy, do they do the stripes, like four stripes, right? Per uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So at my, I actually, because I got addicted to it right away, I got my blue belt in four months. Wow. So it was pretty fun. That's really fast. For, yeah. people, for people that don't understand, I think, what, the average is about a year at least, most academies? Yeah. But I got, I got so addicted to it. At the um, place I was training at, they had like three classes a day, and I was going to every single class. And... When I wasn't there, I was actually in the gym, you know, lifting weights or going for a run. Wow. So I was pretty active right away. So the moment that you found this jujitsu, you're getting tapped, tap, 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 mount, mount, mount. You just fell in love with it immediately. You knew? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. knew? Was, I just, I don't know, I mean, growing up, I just loved to play fight, you know, with my friends, with my dad. I used to love WWE. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even as a kid, my mom and dad asked me what I wanted to be when I was older. And I was always, I'd always tell them, I want to be a wrestler, you know, so <laughs> I'm not far off. Not far yeah, off. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think this is even, this is even, to me, this is even better, better than wrestling. Wrestling's great. Yeah. But yeah, jiu is a whole different ball game. I mean, wrestling's great, but like jiu in terms of real life use, if you ever had to use it, I mean, if you, if you're... If you're in a bar or a restaurant or anywhere and you've got some guy acting up and you have a jiu-jitsu yeah. background, man, you know that you will always be okay. Yeah, you know how to be calm in that situation as well. I mean, funnily enough, before I did jiu-jitsu, when I thought I couldn't fight, I would, I would go out drinking with my friends. You know, I was quite immature at this time. And I would get in, I would get in some fights, you know, in the town center, you know, too much alcohol, people like... You know, but then after 
I, once I started training jiu-jitsu after a number of years, I've not, be, I've not been in any altercation this entire time. Like, um, but the few times where something was close to happening, and I just found a way to reason with them, talk my way out of it, and just, you know, yeah, not get into the situation. So it, it does something. It makes you calm in those situations. It makes you know how to handle it. I think that's exactly right. Uh, that that's the, the guys that are running around that have something to prove uh, to them yeah. to themselves more so than anything. They're just they're insecure and they they want to they want to take out their aggression. We've all been there. I've been there too when I was younger as well with the alcohol and stuff like that. And you want to go yeah. you want to go out with the boys and you want to prove who's got the the biggest balls and you're going to get into a fight with some other guys and. The the guys that are the guys that are well trained in martial arts, especially in like a jujitsu, which which like you said does something to your mind, and gives you a sense of calm, gives you a sense of uh, reason, um, a sense of peace, knowing that you don't that you're because you know exactly what to do, how how to defend yourself. Yeah. You could kill you could take somebody's life within a matter of minutes if you truly wanted. Yeah, and uh, that kind of stuff, man, makes you realize, hey, <laughs> there's no reason to go there. I don't have to prove anything to myself. Or to anybody yeah. else. It's powerful. It is. I mean, when you're training every day as well, you're getting rid of all that, you know, built-up alpha male testosterone, getting tapped every day, tapping people. You're getting rid of that, you know, that machoism. You don't, you don't feel like you need to prove it. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And I, I've, actually taken some, I've actually taken some classes in the past. I wasn't a huge fan of ghee. Um. Yeah. As much, I know, first of all, I've got bad shoulders, and the the geek, the, the the pulling and tugging around the collar and stuff like that was starting to take a wear and tear on my shoulders. Um, but but I, I I've never really trained no gi, but I think I would enjoy it. Talk about if you would the difference between the two, and wh- and which do you prefer? Well, I, I go back and forth. You know, I started um, when I the first few months I started, it was no gi because it was more MMA, and when I moved back up to um, Moving my parents, moved back up to Manchester. It was a gi academy. I didn't really want to do it, but that's all I had, you know. And I really fell in love with the gi. So really? Up until Purple Belt, I was just training gi. Hmm. And um, I went over to Brazil for three months, and I was training there. That's when I got into the video side of things. But it's when I first came to Thailand in 2012. Um, it's so hot here. No one wants to train in the gi, and it's a lot, a lot of MMA fighters here. There's some high level wrestlers here, and I really, I really fell in love with no gi. So I actually ditched the gi. Um, I got my brown belt, and then I stopped training the gi and just focused on no gi for so long. Uh huh. And yeah, I started traveling around the world, you know, and uh, mainly no gi, but I did did do some gi. And then I ended up in Singapore, just over. Just over a year and a half ago, um, I was working at Evolve MMA, and I was teaching teaching full time in the gi, and I fell in love with the gi. <laughs> <laughs> and now I left Singapore and back at Tiger Muay Thai as a head jiu-jitsu coach, and now I'm teaching no gi, so I'm falling back into the no gi <laughs> yeah. side. Of things. Hey, hey, man, just <laughs> let's just like, I love both. You know? Let's call it what? Yeah, I was gonna say. Let's just call it what it is. You love jiu-jitsu, gi or no gi, it doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> it's yeah. whatever whatever you're doing in that moment in time in your life. That's what you love. It depends who I'm, like, who I'm training with as well, you know. Like, uh, let's say I'm training with Keenan Cornelius, I would I would 
hate to train the gi with that guy because <laughs> he would just wrap me up with that worm guard. Uh-huh. But no gi, you know, I much prefer to play no gi with him. Right, right. That's a good point. So yeah, t- take us through that then. So you've been doing uh, gi and no gi training obviously for ten years now. So you got your white belt. Uh, your, your, you went from white to blue within four months. Which for anyone that doesn't know, again, that's remarkable. That's like one of the fastest you can get to a blue belt. I would believe. Yeah. How long were you wearing the blue belt for until you hit purple? So funny story. Actually, I was training like still training like three times a day every day, and my professor saw how hard I was working, and I think he thought I'd been training longer than I actually had. So after a year and a half, he calls me up in the middle of a seminar and gives me my purple belt, and I look, I, and I was competing the next day at blue belt, and I looked at him, I went, "I've only been training a year and a half," and he goes, "I know," and I went. I'm competing tomorrow as a blue belt. And he looked at me and he goes, okay. And he takes it back off me and goes, we'll see how you do at the competition. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. And, then, um, and he goes, you're the only guy who's going to get his purple belt twice. I was like, all right. It didn't bother me at all. I didn't feel comfortable. I was like, a year and a half? You're going to give me my purple? And I think he saw that. And then I went to compete and I lost my first match at blue belt. So I didn't get it for another year and a half. So... Yeah, oh, was, so wait, he was going to give you your purple belt, and then this was a year and a half into when you first started training, when you first got, when yeah, you first came into them. A year and a half in, he gave me my purple, and that's when I looked at him and said, I'm competing tomorrow at Blue Belt, and I've only been training a year and a half. So he took it back off me and says, All right, we'll see how you do. And uh, yeah, and because I lost my first match, it was then another year and a half later. Holy so cow. I got, blue, I got my Blue Belt in four months, and uh, my purple belt in three years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just over three years, something like that, and then I was on my purple belt for quite a long time. Well, when yeah, you when you purple. were when you were in between that phase of of blue to purple for that yeah. uh, for that extra year and a half, let let's say a few months into it, six months into it, you're going to yourself. Wait a second, I was supposed to have my purple belt six months ago already. Here I am, yeah. six months later, it's still not coming. And then another six months, you st- a year later, you're going. I'm still wearing the blue. Was there frustrations, or did you not really care about it? No, no, honestly, I've never been, I know some people are like that, people are yeah. like, oh, I, want, I want my blue belt, I want my purple belt, but the way I see it, I would rather be um, that blue belt that the purple belts and the brown belts like don't want to roll with, because it is a good blue belt, you know, it's a blue belt that should be a purple, but he's being held back, rather than, you know, someone who's a, a purple belt getting tapped by blue belts, so, I mean, when I got my... Um, I didn't when I got, I remember when I got my black belt. I didn't want it. I just felt like it's pressure, you know. Um, I'd, I just wanted really? to stay in my brown belt for a few more years. So I was never in a rush to get my belts. Yeah, they always say the ones that are truly, if you do it for the right reasons, you're not worried about the belt, right? No, it's about no. just about learning the art, learning the craft. The belt, the the belt promotions will come. Yeah, I mean, it was it's probably only in the last year I felt comfortable in my black belt. You know, I feel I feel like a black belt now just from how well I'm doing with other people. But when I first got it, I didn't like it. I was like, oh my god, this is pressure. Everyone wants everyone wants to kill me. <laughs> so three years to purple. How long from purple to brown? Let me see. I think I was on my purple for three years. So six uh, years to brown, basically. Yeah, and then I was on I was only in my brown belt for probably like. A year, a year and a half. So I think I got my black belt in seven and a half years, something like that. Okay, that's what I was trying to get to, to, to figure out. Seven and a half years, man. That's that's pretty darn fast, right? I mean, that's yeah, yeah. 
That's pretty darn fast. I mean, if you put the time in, and I really did, I put the time in. I actually had two years out during that time. I got, um, I had a, when I was a blue belt, I competed and got to the final and the guy caught, I was winning the match, but the guy catches me in a footlock with 10 seconds left and I refused to tap and he broke my foot. (laughs) So I was out for a year, you know, and, um, after that I was just training and I got thrown. No, actually I took this guy's back and he shook me. He shook me off his back and I posted out my arm and my left arm collapsed back the opposite way and completely dislocated. It, was, it wasn't a break. It was just a clean dislocation, but my arm was bent back the complete opposite way. It, was, it looked pretty horrendous and that, I was out for a year with that as well. So, but every so the, time I was out for a year, I came back even stronger, you know, knowing yeah. that I lost out in that time, knowing everyone else had got better. So I really what? came back strong, you know, knowing I needed to catch up again. I guess the moral of the story is is uh, if someone's got you, tap right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what were you doing? What were you doing? Not much at the time, I remember I was a blue belt, and I think the guy was it was it was in this no gi tournament, and it was the final. And the guy who I was beating was I think he was a purple at the time. And I just wanted to beat this purple belt. I was winning like seven points. So I just really wanted to win, and I didn't think I, I remember him having the footlock. And because it was 10 seconds left, I didn't think he would break it. I didn't think he had it in him. I thought, nah, he's not going to break it. <laughs> but he broke it. Damn, man. That had to be horrendous pain, too. Uh, well, at the time, my adrenaline was going so much. Mm-hmm. I didn't even... I felt it, but it wasn't painful. Uh, but believe me, after my adrenaline cooled down, after probably 20, 30 minutes, oh my God, I was in a lot of pain. <laughs> So what were you doing that year off where you're sitting there from the sidelines watching? What, what, do, you, what do you do to continue to progress well, in the sport? That's actually how I got into the video side of things uh, because I was, you know, I always wanted to be a professional jiu-jitsu athlete, but it seemed like, you know, my life was taken over course. I kept getting these injuries and, and just for something to do, I picked up a video camera because I couldn't work. You know, I had my arm in a sling or my foot in a cast. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't really want to work anyway. I didn't. I had no motivation, no interest to do, you know, to work in a shop floor selling ski jackets or whatever it was, you know, serving tables, being a bartender. So just to keep my mind occupied, I was... Um, uh, I started making little highlights. I'd go, I'd carry on going to the competitions. I'd carry on going to training. I'd go to the seminars and I would film them. And then edit, I, I t- basically taught myself how to edit on a Final Cut Pro. And I remember Ryan Hall, um, quite a famous American black belt, came to do a seminar in my town. And I, I filmed the seminar with two cameras and I edited it together. And I remember posting that video online and it got... It got something like 30,000 views in quite a short amount of time. And it was the first time, this is when YouTube got popular and Facebook got popular and Jiu-Jitsu was just getting more popular. And there really wasn't much Jiu-Jitsu content on YouTube. There was no one doing, you know, filming these things. So I was kind of the first, well, one of the first people to do something like that. So they got a lot of views right away. It got a lot of attention. And I saw how popular it was. Oh, wow, I'm really onto something here. Wow. And people were encouraging me, like, wow, well, Stuart, that was really good what you did. And then Gunnar Nelson came to town, and then Jeff Monson. So I filmed and made them into like little short five-minute videos, and they got really popular. And then because of that, I got an invite to go out to Brazil 
um, a, a place called Connection Rio with a guy called Dennis Ash, and he said, if you come out to Brazil and you, uh, I'll give you a free stay, I'll give you free training, uh, you need to pay for your own food, but I, all I want you to do is like, I'll take you around Brazil and we're going to make loads of documentaries and you wanna, you're going to put my company logo on there. I was like, great, that's awesome. That's like a dream come true. I get to go to Brazil and just film all these like world championship black belts and just make them into little mini documentaries. And it wow. just is kind of a domino effect from there. You know? So this year, right what, uh, Stu, what year was this now? This was 2011. 2011. Wow. So this is about yeah. three. So this was about, give or take, three years into your uh, BJJ journey. Yeah, uh, yeah, I just got yeah. I just got my purple belt when um, ADCC 2011. I remember filming. Um, I was I met Braulio Steamer at that time, and I did a few little videos of Braulio Steamer training for the Jacare Super Fight. And when I went to ADCC, I, I made a highlight video, and I think I was the first person to ever make a, a highlight video of ADCC, which is the most prestigious grappling tournament in the world. I posted that online. I remember that getting 60,000 views in 12 hours. I Holy, like, Holy shit. shit. I'm on wow. wow. That's amazing, man. At life, you just never know exactly where. That's the cool thing about life uh, yeah. is that you just really never know what, what tomorrow holds. Had it not been for that injury, uh, for that, right. it, who knows where your life would have gone. It's weird. It's a weird thing when you think about it. I've had a lot of those moments in my life where at the time, I'm like, why is this happening to me? Why did mm -hmm. this have to happen now? But something always good comes from it. You know, like this has happened to me time and time again. So you just have to sometimes just wait and see what happens, you know? That's incredible. So you just you just uploaded that first video of Ryan Hall on a on a YouTube channel. Yeah. And yeah, it just blew up. It was actually it was Vimeo at that time. Vimeo, yeah. Vimeo then then uh, YouTube, yeah. And then, and then you just did the others, and then you went out to Brazil, and you did the the. So, so at that point, uh, tw this is all in 2011. Yeah, 2011. Yeah, uh -huh. um, and after I, so I was in Brazil, and I made a video on <clears throat> Rafael Desanos, Kira Gracie, Husamar Polharis, um, who else? Uh, quite a, a number of different people, you know. I went around all the different academies there, like Delaheva, Extreme with Silvio Baring, Osvaldo Alves. Um, you know, I made a lot of good contacts out there. And yeah, when it, I was in Brazil, yeah. I met uh, the promoter of Cage Warriors. Um, I was up in Recife actually doing some filming in uh, Recife, and uh, at that academy I was training at, there was uh, a fellow Englishman uh, called what was his name? Patrick. I can't remember his name. But um, yeah, he hired me like a few months later because we met and he saw what I was doing. He goes, hey, I've got a job for you with Cage Warriors. We're going to fly around. We're going to fly you to Dubai, Lebanon, Jordan, London, you know, Ireland, all around Europe. And we want you to make highlight videos of all the Cage Warrior events. So I started doing that. And I just kind of, it just went from there. Wherever I would go, I would make more contacts yeah. and get more jobs. And I just, be, before I knew it, I'm a freelance you know, film videographer wow. for mixed martial arts and jiu-jitsu. And it was all by accident. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> what's so incredible about that. I wasn't expecting yeah. that, you know, when I was going to... The whole time, though, I mean, I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong, I loved it. I still like it, but I, the whole time I'm doing this, I'm filming these guys. I'm filming the black belts. I'm filming these guys training. And all I'm thinking behind the camera is I want to train. 
well, I just want to jump in and train. And then the training would finish and everyone's tired and I put the camera down and I don't get to train. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to so, say, I was going to say the, the, the neat thing about this while you were on the sideline and filming is you were being exposed to some of the highest level of jujitsu throughout the entire world. Yeah, I was very fortunate to be able to train with the best, well, get, I wouldn't say get trained, get smashed by the best guys in the world for many, many years. Yeah, I mean... I was, talking to, I was talking to someone this about the other day because I wanted to be a professional, I wanted to be a jiu-jitsu world champion for many years. But as I was filming these guys, I was, I mean, training with Cyborg, Brew, with Brawley, with Steam, I was a perp this time. They would smash me. Like, it wasn't even close. Like, they would just play with me. Mm-hmm. And it kind of made me think, wow, I'll never be that good. What's the point? I'll never reach that level because they were just owning me. I couldn't do anything to them. So it kind of put me off for quite a few years. I didn't believe, I started to not believe in my own ability. But it's only recently. Back to those, back to those, back to those mental blocks we talked about at the beginning. Exactly. Yeah. So that's kind of, that, this has changed in the last year, you know, because I've been training a long time now. And when I was in Singapore, I got to train with a lot of high-level guys, and especially here recently in Thailand. And I'm not going to say who, but I did particularly well with people that you know, have won, you know, got very good uh, high-level credentials. So, and I'm like, it's only recent. I'm like, oh wow, I'm actually, I'm almost there. You know, I'm doing quite well at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 that's really that's off. that's really interesting. It's it goes back to those mental blocks that we always put on ourselves. And yeah. we always we always compare, you know, we compare to to other people, and say, oh, I I'll, I'll never be at that level, and um, you you start feeling deflated like you were doing. You're you're rolling with the greatest guys in the world. How are you not supposed to feel? Yeah, uh, I mean, if you to, when you're training jiu-jitsu, if you want to do it as a career, it's important that you get those roles, but it's also important that you do the roles that you're winning. You need exactly. to be, you need to be smashing people as well yeah. just to give you confidence. Yeah, so you it's like it's better. like if a kid picks up a a, a kid that's looking to, to make it to the NBA and he's good at he's a good basketball player in high school or even in college, and he's trying to compare himself to to LeBron James, he's going to be deflated. But yeah, but exactly. you got to just continue to grind away each day, each day, each day, and then maybe one day you do get to that point, or at least you could be in the conversation. At least yeah. you could share. At least you could share a court with LeBron at that point. Maybe five or ten years later, and it's and 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 the gap is not such a great gap anymore. But as you're coming, it's the same kind of thing, and it's it's weird that we put those kind of mental blocks on ourselves. I think it's just natural we do that as human beings. And we compare, and and uh, I could see what you mean by by how it was, uh, how that was. But uh, it's that slow progression, right? And you continue to stick with it. And uh, here you are. You've been a black belt for uh, for what, like three years now? Two and a half, three years. Uh, two, two years. Two years. Yeah. Uh, did you have any? Did you have any training? Back to the video stuff. Did you have any training with a, with a camera, or did you just pick it up that one day? Um, when I was in university, we did a bit of uh, a little bit of training with cameras, but it was always with a film crew. So it put me off. It was like you had a director, you had a producer, you had the cameraman, you had uh, the sound man, mm-hmm. and all that. That put me off. I'm like, I don't want to do all this. This is too much work. Right. So I left university with a degree, thinking, all right, I don't want to do media. Um, and it, it, the course wasn't very good. They didn't teach us how to edit or anything like that. Yeah. So the. I mean, no, not really much. It kind of put me off. Or, you know, there's this many, you had to have a different, someone assigned to a different job role. Um, but then the, there was the introduction of DSLR cameras where 
you know, you could do it all yourself. You know, you just have to have this small little camera. You don't need a sound man. You just have a microphone on the top. Um, you do it all yourself. You can edit yourself. So that I liked. So these, these films that I made, I basically filmed and edited all myself. And I liked that. I liked the fact that I didn't have to, you know, work with a, a cameraman, work with a sound man. Just wow. made, it made things simpler for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, because I got to say, you're... you're... Your your videos, I don't know what the first ones look like. They obviously were impressive uh, because these guys were, were coming out of the woodwork and saying, "Hey, we want to fly you all around the world." But your videos now, some of the ones I watched of recently, man, they're I, I before we connected on Instagram, I had already known about you and I had watched a ton of your like Marcelo Garcia videos and uh, some of the videos you had with Joe Rogan with the editing of Joe Rogan. Um, yeah. the, the voiceovers and I love jujitsu and all this other kind of stuff. And I was thinking to myself, these things are phenomenal. If there's anyone that's interested in jujitsu and the BJJ lifestyle and seeing cool behind the scenes, you guys got to check out Stuart Cooper films on yeah. YouTube. Your stuff is really, really incredible, man. Wow. Thank you. Appreciate that. I mean, I actually, look, I look back at some of the first ones I did and I look back now and I'm like, wow, some of these are good. But then I actually noticed a slow, steady decline in the quality of my films. Um, the last few years, I've recently, um, well, things have changed recently in the last two years. So I, I'm actually very proud of the last three videos I've put out. But I don't know if people, people probably noticed as well on my YouTube channel. I got very reckless. I was doing, I was doing that much traveling, doing that much filming that it, because it became a job, I started to not take as much care. And all that traveling, I mean, it's funny what social media can do because people are following me on social media. I'm flying around the world and flying here, flying there, filming this guy. And it can look like the most amazing lifestyle, like I'm the luckiest person in the world. I would love to have that guy's life. But all that, I mean, you know what jet lag feels like. I was jet lagged all the time. I was, I was in, in Miami for four days, then fly to Sao Paulo for a week and then fly back up to Oregon for four days, then to Ibiza for two days. And it was constantly like this. And my immune system um, basically shut down. I started to lose a lot of weight. I started to uh, um, develop like insomnia. You know, I started to develop really bad sleeping patterns. Um, wow. But I didn't want to stop because I had such a good thing going. But I noticed um, my videos got really, some of them, I look back at them and I'm like, wow, that's terrible. How did I even let that go out there? Really? So, wow. Yeah, I actually got very, um, I actually went offline. I, I, I don't know if people noticed, but I went offline for about a year because I got so sick that uh, my weight went down to 70 kilograms. And right now I'm walking around about 92. So 70 kilograms for me is pretty, pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, man, that's, uh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, you would never, that, that's the thing. Again, behind the scenes stuff, you never see all the grind, the wear and tear that goes into this type of stuff. Exactly. With, with anything, yeah. with you anything. See, you see me post a picture of me on the beach. You see yeah. me post yeah. a picture on top of uh, the Empire State Building. Me right. rolling in Marcelo Garcia. But you don't see a lot of things that are going on, you know. It's, it, was, it was a tough lifestyle and I basically had to, it wasn't sustainable. I had to stop and I actually moved back to... Um, I left Thailand and I decided, right, I'm not going to make any videos and, uh, for a year. I'm just going to go back home. I'm just going to train. I'm going to get my health back and, you know, give myself a year to fully recover. And then, you know, then set back out into the world. So that's when I got the job offer in Singapore. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's really something. That's really something. And and yeah, the the grind, the wear and tear will do that. And uh, sometimes complacency will do the same thing, where you just kind of just like you start, like you said, you started treating it as a job and not so much as a passion or hobby anymore. And uh, you were able to see it in your work, and I guess anyone that was probably a loyal follower of yours was able to see it as well. Yeah, um, but I didn't but see it at the yeah. time, but yeah, now I see it. <laughs> so you're back doing it. You're you're refreshed. You're 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 back on you're back on that circuit. But you're you're working full time as the head uh, BJJ jujitsu coach yeah. there at Tiger Muay Thai. So I was in a yes, I was in Singapore for a year teaching there full time. But it was quite a hectic schedule they had me doing that. Um, I can't really go into detail about that because they made me sign a contract. <laughs> okay. Uh, but then I got the job offer at um, Tiger Muay Thai as the head BJJ coach. And my day finishes at 11.30 a.m. every day. I teach two classes in the morning, <laughs> Monday, to fr- Monday to Friday. Oh, I have man. the whole day free. So now I'm able to get back into the filmmaking again. But I have the time, you know. Um, and I know not to push myself too much. So I did, recently did a video with Josh Hinger. Um, Nathan Orchard, I flew out to the, a small island called Koh Tao recently and I filmed of uh, uh, Nathan. And, it's a great uh, video. Craig, Craig Jones was here recently. Yeah. Uh, I was recently training with him and I'm, that's the next video project I'm putting together is Craig Jones and then Edwin Najmi. So I've got the time now to do it. You know, I can take my time and I've got the passion back again. No, that's beautiful. That's what it comes down to, man, is finding that passion. Whatever you're yeah. doing in life, it's stick. If that passion's there, the, the success will follow, and uh, yeah. people people see it. People will see it. So, what a lifestyle that must be for you. You get to wake up. You're in beautiful uh, Phuket. You're surrounded yeah. by you're surrounded yeah. by some of the most tropical areas in the world. At least that's what it looks like. I've never been there, but it's definitely on my bucket list. Uh, yeah. and, and you're surrounded. You're surrounded by all these world class athletes and fighters and good people, and I, I imagine you're really enjoying this at this point. Yeah, I mean it's amazing. I mean it was only a few weeks ago, and I'm teaching teaching my morning class, and in walks in Craig Jones, and then after Craig Jones is Douglas Lima, um, mm-hmm. and then um, I don't know if you remember Rowan Carnero. He used to be in UFC and Pride, so. In the middle of my, I'm teaching my class, I'm like, oh, wow, look at this. I never would have thought, you know, 10 years ago, I'd be teaching, you know, jiu-jitsu to, like, you know, former UFC, you know, UFC fighters, Bellator champions, you know. Amazing. Yeah, I saw you were with uh, with uh, uh, Kevin Lee, Motown Phenom, recently, too. Yeah, 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 that was crazy. I was just teaching my class, and then I look over, and Kevin Lee sat there, and I'm like, that ain't Kevin Lee, is it? And then, <laughs> sure enough, was, and he was such a polite guy. He was a really nice guy. Uh, he came in my class, and then we had a good role at the end of class. And uh, he's a—I really like that guy. He's yeah, cool. he seems like a cool guy. I like him a lot too, man. I don't, I'm not a fan of yeah. a lot. I'm not a big fan of a lot of the fighters, but he's one of the guys I really do like. And I yeah. actually think he's got—I think he's—he he will be a champion one day. I think he's that good. I think so. Yeah, and you know, yeah. his jiu-jitsu is good. He's damn good. He's is really it? Really sharp. I mean, he's young as well. Yeah, listen, so, I mean, he mounted Tony Ferguson in that first round of that fight and was doing some work. He did. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he... full mount him, and uh, what impressed me, I was talking to him about it, and I was asking him, you know, how he did it. Um, he, when he fought Barboza, he had a lot of nice uh, double under guard passes, and I was just getting him to show me how he did it. Um, actually, yeah, last week, Oven St. Prue, OSP, yeah. was actually a Tiger Muay Thai. So yeah, I, I saw him, that. I just pulled him aside and said, can you show me how you do the, the Von Flu choke? Because mm-hmm. he's got free... Von Fluchok finishes in the UFC now. Which is crazy because uh, n- nobody else has like practically any, which is 
It's weird. No, and yeah. people think it's a fluke, like it just falls into it, but it's not. He actually has a really nice setup from there. Uh huh. And, yeah. and he showed me. Oh my god! It's, yeah, I can see why he's put so many people to sleep with it. It's a legit <laughs> choke that he has. Yeah. There. Oh, that dude! That dude could choke even without without a special technique, and he's gonna put people oh, to sleep. Yeah. So then he, he's he, a big boy. He's, he's a, a big, big dude. Boy. He's a big dude. That's really cool, man. I mean, you're being exposed to the the greatest uh, jujitsu and MMA fighters in the world. And you're yeah. getting paid to do it. You're you're teaching. You're teaching. I, I assume you teach kids classes all the way up through uh, grown men and women. Uh, I taught I taught a lot of kids classes in Singapore mm-hmm. uh, because you know people live there throughout the year. But here at Tiger Muay Thai, uh, I don't. I, it's only like professionals and beginners I'm teaching. Cause, gotcha. Uh, people come and go. It's like a holiday destination here. Yeah, yeah. It seems like a really cool spot. Um, yeah. so, so you're getting paid that doing that you, you get paid from YouTube videos. How does, how does that work? Well, yeah, I mean, I was, I was never a business minded guy. You know, I, I was never very good at monetizing my videos. So I was always focused on, I just wanted them to be as cool and like, um, easy watching as possible. So I would always put like a not, you know, popular music to my videos Mm-hmm. And I should have known better because a lot of them videos have been taken down now and I can't make money from them because I've used, you know, uh, very popular music that I don't have the rights to. So, uh. yeah, I never, I never actually made money uh, from YouTube, despite what people say, you know. I, I've seen a few things on the internet, people saying, oh, he makes money from YouTube, but no, I really don't. <laughs> so your money should, came from sponsors? Been yeah, was it, where did it come from? Like some of the uh, sponsors or advertisers that you see yeah, at the beginning so, of the videos? Yeah. Um, I never really found a way to make it. I, I tried for years to make it like uh, find, make a living from it, but it was very difficult. But uh-huh. I would get, I would put like um, a show your roll or a scramble, some kind of you know pitbull logo on the front and end of the, the front and end of the video. So I would get like you know a little bit of money here and there. I mean, I haven't, especially free gear. I haven't paid for a gi or a rash guard or any training gear for like a long time now. Yeah. So I get I get sent a lot of free stuff, which is cool. Um, but to be honest, I don't really. I, I like teaching jiu-jitsu. I don't. I don't mind. I don't want to really make money. Well, yeah, I, I'd like to make money from it, but uh, I just enjoy doing it. It's you like a hobby. It. When yeah. I te- teach jiu-jitsu, I've got the whole day free. Actually, growing up, I loved drawing. You know, and editing is like drawing for me. I find it very, very therapeutic. It's something to look forward to. When I come home from jiu-jitsu, I can. I'm, I'm working on my project, my next little project, you know, my little piece that I'm putting together. So right. it's something I would do anyway. Yeah, that's interesting. And uh, and again, it's always like the, the what ifs in life. And, the, and if it wasn't for that foot break, which led to the videos... Which yeah. maybe maybe the videos without you know you might have never ended up teaching uh, being the head trainer at, at, at Tiger Muay Thai. I mean maybe maybe your path would have been different. So everything's yeah. kind of, everything yeah. kind of is related to each other. I mean through my videos, I've made I've developed quite a good strong social media following. Yeah. And in this day and age, a strong social media following gets you places unfortunately just the way it is you know i got a job um, at evolve mma in singapore and i believe that was because i wasn't a world champion i haven't won the worlds i haven't won the europeans but uh like all the other uh, black belts there but i had a strong social media following so i'm pretty sure that's why i got the job there yeah it's all it's all related man hard work and good putting out good work it all's intertwined it all pays off uh where do people follow you on on, uh if they want to see you on social media 
Um, I'm quite active on um, Instagram these days, so you can follow me on Instagram at Stuart Cooper Films, and I also have my Facebook page as well, which is uh, yeah, again Stuart Cooper Films on my YouTube channel. Awesome, yeah, and we'll link it up in the show notes for everybody as well. Um, yeah, man, I just I, I really appreciate you sh- sharing some of your story. I've uh, like I said, I've 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 known about you for the past couple of years. I started getting into jujitsu a little bit more. Uh, several years ago, and I was watching videos online. I'm going, man, this is amazing. And then I realized that you were a, a black belt yourself, and I was like, damn, this is this is badass stuff here. So, yeah, uh, it's really gonna cool. Be, uh, I'm going to be competing in quintet in uh, next week. Uh, yeah, Sunday or Monday next week. Tiger Muay Thai actually have a team together. You know quintet? No, you know, I'm not familiar with that. Um, it's uh, it's a new it's like a grappling survival tournament. So okay. it's, um, it's in Tokyo, Japan. It's going to be live on UFC Fight Pass. Oh, nice! So there's uh, three other teams, well, four teams, including me. Teams of five, and you're not allowed to go over 430 kilograms. So you can choose any five people, five of your best grapplers on your team, and it can be they can be any weight as long as the, the entire weight doesn't go over 430 kilograms. And it's basically winner stays on. So if I go on and Sakurab is my first match, if we don't submit each other, it's a draw, we're both out. And our next um, competitors go on. But say I go on and I submit the first guy, he's out. Their, their next play comes on, but I stay on. Say I submit him, he's out, but I stay on. Oh, interesting. So it's interesting. a really interesting format. That's cool. That's cool. That's going to be on UFC yeah. Fight. I assume you'll be sharing some of it too throughout the, the week on your Instagram and all that? Yeah, we're actually, we've got a, another cameraman from Tiger Muay Thai coming, so he's going to be filming awesome. uh, the whole process. I'm going to be filming as well, as well as competing. So I'm going to make it into a little, you know, a cool little video. Be oh, hell video yeah. Video. Hell yeah. We'll look forward to seeing that. Is that is that a gi or an ogi? It's Nogi. Okay, awesome. We'll check it out, man. I look forward to seeing that. And, and hey, if uh, if I do ever make it out to Phuket, I would love to get out there sometime. I am definitely coming out to see you guys, man. That would yeah, be a, yeah, a cool, cool experience. Great time out here. It's a, it's a good life, good life out here. And, and anyone could come out and and, uh, and train, right? I mean, you have accommodations for people to stay there and all that. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, good thing about I mean, you can come out to Thailand. And- you know, it's very cheap to live. You know, that's right. kind of what I like about Thailand. I don't really worry about money out here. Money gets you a long way, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, accommodation's cheap. Food is cheap. You know, compared to the Western world anyway. So, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, man, uh, we'll stay in touch. I, I really appreciate the insight today. I appreciate you coming on, sharing your story. And, uh, yeah, thank you. And uh, check him out, everyone. Stuart Cooper Films. We'll, uh, we'll be taking a look at you next week, and uh, obviously we'll continue to follow along on- online, man. So uh, good luck, continued success to you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I appreciate that very much. Absolutely. Talk to you soon, Stu. Yeah, talk to you soon. The Optimal Life. And thank you for listening to a- another episode of The Optimal Life. Really appreciate the support, and uh, if you guys enjoy what you're listening to and enjoy what you're hearing, as always, please click subscribe. And give us the five-star rating so we can continue to elevate the podcast within Apple Podcasts and everywhere else that the podcast is played and provided. And uh, leave us a comment. Leave us feedback. You could, uh, we're always open to feedback, whether it's positive or negative. So uh, you know, we want to do whatever we can to improve the show. And if there's something that we're missing, then let us know. You could reach me also on Instagram at Nathan Haber. 
And uh, again, I know you have a lot of listening options these days. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of people sharing different things. So if you are listening to this podcast and if you're a loyal listener to this podcast, from the bottom of my heart, I want to just say thank you. Uh, Very grateful for that. And uh, we're going to continue providing you guys with the best content possible so that we can continue to live an optimal life and be our optimal and best selves. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks.